the podcast called The Local Maximum at localmaxradio.com and it's hosted by Max Sklar, who has over a decade of experience in machine learning. Max talks to creative engineers and entrepreneurs about emerging technology and how it is changing our world. You will learn about building great products and how to communicate and build your career. That's why data scientists around the world are tuning in to The Local Maximum and uh, you can get it anywhere you listen to podcasts or at localmaxradio.com. This is Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Garaletta. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning easy for everyone. We are finally back for another episode and uh, uh, very first announcement is that we are finally part of one family, which is Amethyx Technologies. And you can find the website at amethyx.com, A-M-E-T-H-I-X.com. And this very podcast will be reachable at amethyx.com slash podcast. Of course, we'll keep the name podcastdatascienceatome.com still accessible at the usual iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, whatever client you want to use to download these episodes and have fun with us. But now let's get to the episode. So in this episode, I'm going to discuss some limitations of deep learning as I did in a previous episode uh, quite a long time ago, I must say, which is basically driving a kind of research and um, the effort of some of well, many practitioners around the world who keep using deep learning technology for a problem that probably might be solved with something else, probably something simpler, something easier. Of course, the successes that deep learning systems have achieved in the last decade um, in all kinds of domains are unquestionable. And I can just mention a few like self-driving cars, uh, skin cancer diagnostics, uh, movie and song recommendations, and also language modeling, language translation, etc., etc. Now, of course, you know, there are a lot of things that deep learning is doing and it's doing great. But there are other things in which deep learning is not yet a sufficient technology to solve such issues. And this is just because deep learning technology comes with some limitations as well. AI researchers and practitioners have pointed out four major drawbacks of deep learning systems, which I also mentioned in previous episodes. For example, the fact that algorithms are trained on thousands of images, for example, in, in the case of computer vision, of course, but we can apply this to any domain, even when the, you have numeric data, you have time series, you have images, you have sound, doesn't really matter. These algorithms need to be trained on thousands of samples until having the classification down called. Now, no matter what the number of, uh, of samples that this massive neural network are trained on, it can still happen that little stickers, in case of, uh, of computer vision, little stickers digitally pasted in one corner of an image might fool the classification completely. And so think about when you apply this to classification of road signs because you are on board of an autonomous vehicle 
that reads a stop sign with with an image and tries to interpret the the semantics of that of that road sign right now imagine if a malicious actor put a, a sticker on that sign so that the classification of that road sign would be like yeah you can you have a, a, a limit of 120 miles i don't know if there that's even possible probably in germany but you know what i mean so you can misclassify very easily and fool basically a model very easily even when the model has been trained on thousands and thousands of examples this concept goes under the name of adversarial attacks and in another episode we gave an explanation of how it works and why it is dangerous and what can be done in order to limit the damage of such an attack uh, the second point is that while humans generally learn new concepts from just one or two examples, deep neural networks need thousands of examples in order to reach kind of, you know, satisfactory performance on, on a specific task. This is not only true for supervised learning tasks such as image or speech recognition, but it also holds true in case of reinforcement learning. In fact, in the case of deep reinforcement learning, you are not using anything different than a neural network in a reinforcement learning setting. So all the limitations that you had with this neural network, you know, you have this exactly the same limitations, if not more, when you plug this neural network, this estimator into a reinforcement learning setting. Of course, I, I'm not undermining the work of, you know, the amazing work of researchers who who have beaten human players at Go or Atari games via Go RL, Go Reinforcement Learning, um, and all the other frameworks that you can find online. But in fact, such a task can be accomplished by most human players, I would not say in a few minutes, probably a few hours or a few days, but definitely, you know, the, the human brain can find these patterns much, much quicker than a neural network. So how is that? As a, as a neuroscientist, I would ask myself, how does the human brain achieve that? Because if we find that pattern, if we find the way the human, the human brain processes images and patterns uh, and in, in a realistic scenario, well, then maybe I can find, I can just emulate the human brain uh, in, a, in a synthetic setting. The third issue, or I would say more drawback, is that once a deep learning system has been trained, it is not always clear how it makes decisions. And this is also called the opacity issue. I, I talked about this in previous episode by explaining the neural network as a black box that you cannot open. And it's, it's going to be quite difficult to understand why a certain class has been predicted as such, uh, because it, this is not a rule-based system, right? So think about a, for example, an insurance company or a bank that rejects a loan to give a loan to, to a client. If they ever used a, a deep learning approach, they wouldn't know how to explain why that client could not get the loan. While in a rule-based system, that would be extremely easy, you know, probably, you know, because you would see the rule that fires when a certain condition is not met, for example, uh, the FICO score or financial health of the individual is not high enough for uh, the bank to, uh, to lend money. So in the case of deep learning, this is not possible or, well, it's much more difficult than rule-based system. And so there are some domains where uh, it is acceptable, the fact that, you know, to have a black box that decides for us, uh, in other contexts, in other scenarios, for example, healthcare, for example, personal finance, 
it would be much more, uh, much harder to accept a neural network that decides without explaining. And the fourth drawback is that, unfortunately, little progress has been done in unsupervised learning, for which one does not happen to have the thousands or millions of carefully labeled training examples at all. So unsupervised models should figure out these labels themselves, at least that's ideally what we expect the systems would do, and therefore they would label unlabeled examples and then move to the next step, which is the one that we know, which is supervised classification or regression or whatever that is supervised. So what is the missing point of deep learning? Well, regardless of the enthusiasm for deep learning and artificial intelligence, there is an ever-growing feeling of skepticism towards more practical solutions and use cases. And this skepticism usually comes from commercial environments that really want to monetize almost immediately the promises of artificial intelligence and in particular of deep learning as one technology that allows artificial intelligence in our everyday life. AI researchers are exploring a number of new ideas in order to revive deep learning as a, as a research field. I would say to make deep learning great again, but I don't want to take credits on that. So this would in turn make algorithms truly intelligent, especially in the complex use cases of everyday life and think about healthcare, surveillance, autonomous vehicles, finance, fortunately slash unfortunately military. Uh, we have seen military using or at least contemplating more and more the idea of uh, of using deep learning and artificial intelligence for their uh, daily tasks. So there are three essential directions that AI researchers are considering for the near future. And I will mention the, the three of them. And then in the next episode, I'm going to go in the detail of one in particular. Uh, the three directions are meta learning, training multiple networks, and built-in inductive bias. So what is meta-learning? Well, meta-learning means simply learning to learn, which is the ability that allows humans to master things quickly and apply that knowledge to many more other cases that they see, even in different scenarios, even in different contexts. Think about the brain of a baby who sees a cat for the first time. He knows that it's an animal, probably because daddy told her or him. And next time when the baby sees a, let's say a dog or a horse or a cow, he can infer that it's an animal, you know, and, and nobody ever explained the baby, what is a cat, what is a dog, what is a cow, or what is a horse. So this happened to us. More precisely, the meta-learning theory shows that we learn on two time scales. Now, this is a theory. Nobody knows if this is true or it is wrong. Uh, but, you know, theories are there to be disproved or confirmed. Now, in the short term, we focus on learning about specific examples, while over longer time scales, we learn the abstract rules required to complete a task. Now, of course, we don't know if this theory is exactly what our brain is doing, but it makes sense. At least it kind of explains why we learn the way we, we do. And so it is this combination of of short-term, long-term, that is taught to help us learn efficiently. And uh, there are uh, authors, which I will report in the show notes, who implemented a form of meta-learning in a reinforcement learning agent by means of a recurrent neural network. Now, in a reinforcement learning, just to, to make this episode self-contained, an agent learns to act in an environment. 
think about a video game, right? And so you have a number of possible actions from your joypad, from your uh, PS4, whatever, that you can move the character in the virtual world, going up, down, left, right, jump, you know, you have a list of actions. And now, when you apply an action to the environment, the environment gives you a reward telling you that that action was the right one or a punishment telling you that there, uh, that action was, was the wrong one given the context, right? Researchers have discovered that the agent represented by the recurrent neural network, so in fact, the recurrent neural network was deciding or estimating the best possible action given a certain state in the virtual world, well, this agent was still able to solve new tasks even when the weights of the neural network were frozen, which means that they were not adjusted during the learning process. It was like indeed freezing the network, the network was not learning anything new from there on, and this shows that the reward signal was used by the recurrent neural network to memorize past actions and extract general rules, allowing them to successfully complete novel tasks without needing further training. Now, I find this extremely interesting because this combination of, you know, short-term, long-term is probably the right thing that is happening in our brain. We just don't realize because it's, it's innate, it's, it's in our DNA, and probably, you know, of course, we, we don't observe because we are in that system. Uh, I don't know. It's just my speculation. I hope that's true. Dibs. The second direction that researchers are taking is about training multiple networks instead of training just one big network. Now, the, the, the latter solution was to, if you have a, a number of tasks or so multitask learning, for example, or if you have a, a complex task, you just ex extend your network, you, this network becomes bigger and bigger because it can indeed take into account different aspects of, this, of the problem. And this was in fact the best practice until a few years ago. Until someone found that in fact training multiple networks to work in tandem instead of just one big network is much more uh, beneficial to uh, complete the task with higher accuracy. And this is what at Google they called it the Generative Query Network or GQN, which is a framework that allows machines to learn to perceive their surroundings by training only on data obtained by themselves as they move around the scene. Now this approach requires no human labeling of the contents, nor it needs to receive specific forms of reward or punishment as in a reinforcement learning setting. The GQN model, the Generative Query Network, is composed of two parts, which is the first is a representation network and the second is a generation network. So representation and generation. Now the representation network takes the agent's observations as input and produces a representation, usually in the form of a vector, which describes the underlying scene. Of course, it describes this, uh, this scene in an intermediate representation, in something that, of course, we cannot understand. Now, the generation network performs predictions about the objects and the features that are not currently visible to the AI. For example, if a table only has three legs visible from the current frame, the model will include the fourth leg with compatible size, compatible shape, and probably compatible color. So such predictions, in turn, help the system learning concepts faster with respect to standard deep learning uh, methods and frameworks. 
The third and last direction that researchers are taking is about built-in inductive bias. And this is a very interesting one because a lot of researchers have, in fact, not a lot of researchers, just two that I know have been, you know, have been massively speaking about this idea, uh, which makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, built-in inductive bias is an idea that provides the artificial neural networks with a kind of built-in bias, right? It's an inductive bias. So instead of letting them learn everything from scratch every time for a new problem, they are injected with this, let me call it prior knowledge in the Bayesian framework or the Bayesian setting. So in this realm, a new approach known as the graph network is attracting much attention in the research community. And this is exactly what I'm going to speak about in the next episode. So stay tuned and keep having fun with us. Keep doing data science. See you next time. This episode is supported by Ametix Technologies, a data analytics company. Ametix design and build data analytics engines to support decision-making, the kind of work that empowers humans at their most important tasks and business. Ametix uses advanced methods in machine learning to extract knowledge from raw data and create value for your business. Check it out, ametix.com, A-M-E-T-H-I-X.com. This was Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening.